Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Stephanie Valores. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by senior analyst David Mutter and principal analyst Sandy Carielli to discuss and review the recent Supreme Court ruling in a case involving tech giants, Google and Oracle. Welcome both. Hi, Jen. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Great to be here. So let's start with a review of the case. So in, in its simplest terms, what was the issue at hand that led to this case of Google versus Oracle? So the issue at hand here was a, a piece of software called Java. It's a development platform that was originally owned by Sun, later acquired by Oracle. And Google, when they were developing their, their Android smartphone platform before it was a reality in, in, in the hands of consumers, they wanted to use Java on their Android platform, but they couldn't come to the, an agreement with, with Sun on how to license it. And so they went on their own and built their own version of Java from scratch, but there were some pieces of source code that they basically copy-pasted from Sun into their own implementation. And this turned into a copyright dispute. And this dispute has been going on for over a decade, from what I understand. It it, it started in 2010. So, you know, Oracle suing Google, winning, Google appealing, Google winning. So it's been going back and forth through different courts in the U.S. for since at least 2010. And in the case of the, the source code that we're talking about, from what I understand, it's just a 11,000 lines of, of code. It's a very small amount of code, and it's specific to the application programming interfaces. Yeah, Steph, that's right. The amount of code that we're talking about ended up being a very small portion of the overall code that Google implemented, and it was restricted to the API layer. And that's important because ultimately the API is the interface. It's how you interact with the rest of the source code. It's not necessarily the secret sauce, the IP that's often in the implemented code. It's really about how you access that. And that's what the dispute was really about. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that. Uh, it, it was 0.4% of the total Java source code. And the ruling was very precise. I've seen some reactions online. People think that the ruling applied to all software source code, and that is absolutely false. The, the justice's ruling was very narrow on a, a very specific type of code. Uh, we, we could call it an application programming interface, or I'll just call it an interface for short, that, that defines how applications can, can talk to each other, how they can interop. Uh, this was really all about interoperability, not the proprietary algorithms and so forth, the other 99.6% of source code that Oracle owned. Yeah, exactly. And I know both of you have said that, uh, you know, other technology companies, software companies, developers have been watching this case for years and have been waiting for the Supreme Court decision for months with with uh, anxiousness. What was causing the anxiety? Like, If it had gone the other way, um, what w- could have been the impact to the software industry as a whole, to other technology companies? You know, leading up to this case, I was imagining what could have happened if the decision went the other way and the amount of chaos that that would have caused with every software company looking at their implementation 
of software looking at their API usage and having to go back through potentially all of their source code and figure out whether their API usage and any custom implementation was now in violation of of copyright or of fair use. That would have been sort of the worst case scenario risk. And you can imagine software development slowing down tremendously as everyone had to go through their code and see if there was any now, you know, unlawful or disallowed usage of APIs that had been in use for years. Right. So that's what made this case so important was it wasn't just about Oracle versus Google and, you know, oh, Google might have owned, owed them billions, you know, play Google a tiny, a tiny violin. It really was about the, the bigger impact to the entire software industry and the potential for innovation longer, longer term. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, give an analogy. Uh, again, it was about interoperability. That's that interface code is what allows systems to talk to each other. So think about the electrical plugs in your walls, no matter what country you live in. There's an interface definition for that. It defines the dimensions of the holes and the size, and uh, it's alternating current instead of direct current. It's so many volts of electricity. Now, behind that plug, every electric utility has a proprietary, unique way of engineering how they produce electricity, how they deliver it to you. But when it comes to that wall plug, there is an interface that everyone agrees with, and that allows all electrical devices the ability to interface with any electric grid in, the, in whatever country you live in. Now imagine if that interface, that electric wall plug, could not be used unless you got special licensing rights from whoever owned the, let's call it a copyright, you can't really copyright a physical device like that, but for the sake of analogy, what if you had to do that? Then it would destroy the ability to use uh, to make electrical devices. It would destroy the innovation we've had over whatever electricity was was invented. And and that's the issue here. You think about the internet. It's all about interoperability. And the, the foundation of modern connected technology requires interoperability without having to worry about copyright trolls going after you with, with frivolous uh, lawsuits or potentially non-frivolous ones that destroy your ability to innovate and produce new uh, new connected technologies. Yeah, that was one of the um, statements from the judges, which is this went beyond, um, you know, specific implementation about technology. The, the impact on society, the benefit to consumers was was huge. But then there was also another argument that uh, counsel for Google had made, too, which is they called it intrinsic functionality, meaning you can't copyright something if there's no other way to do it. So they were also arguing that this wasn't a creative expression that literally there was no other way to do this particular functions defined in this API than the way it had been defined. There was no other, other possible way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, explain a little bit about that. Um, when you think about computer code, you often think of instructions that tell the computer what to do again, back to electricity. Uh, that's kind of analogous to how do we get the electricity from point A to point B, but there's another type of code. That's this interface code. It doesn't tell the computer do X, Y, Z. It defines things for the computer. It just defines a schema or a template of what are the inputs going to be? What do they look like? What are the, the outputs going to look like? And there are really only so many ways to do that. To give an example, 
if you were to define an interface in the English language or whatever other language, give it to a team of, of programmers and tell them all implement this interface or define this interface. The source code that they produced would be nearly identical, if not 100% identical in, in some cases. And so the justices made a very important distinction that um, with, with copyright, the, the idea of copyright is uh, that it, it protects expressions of ideas, but not the ideas themselves. And the idea of the interface you're describing that you describe in English is so interwoven with the code required to define the interface for the computer that you can't separate the idea from the code. And it, versus other types, again, the, the implementation code where it actually runs the algorithm, yes, that is an expression of idea. That is still covered by copyright. But this interface was very different uh, because it's so inseparable from the idea that it's expressing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So the arguments you have is about the intrinsic functionality of it. Then we talked about the interoperability and the importance of that and the benefits to society and, and the values to, to consumers. But the, 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 there's a part of me that also wonders too, um, you know, there were two dissenting justices who basically, you know, argued the opposite, which is, hey, Google admittedly copied 11,000 plus lines of, of code. Um, and, you know, now it actually, and Oracle made this argument as well, which is, we've essentially just continued to handle Google uh, a monopoly, that no other vendor could have argued this case, continue to argue this case year after year, appeal after appeal from 2010 till, till today. Um, and actually it, it will hurt innovation. I, I'm curious what you guys think about that argument. I'll take that one. I don't agree with that because you look at the amici briefs that were filed in favor of Google versus Oracle. In favor of Google were coalitions of computer scientists, people involved with software startups. Those, those types of companies are most at risk from these monopolies. Patreon, which supports people trying to build something new. Companies invested in open source like the Mozilla Foundation, Red Hat, Wikimedia, all supported Google. The only amici briefs I saw in favor of Oracle were political lobbies outside of the software industry. Some of them were just partisan political lobbies. Uh, some of them, for example, the Motion Picture Association, Recording Industry Association of, of America. And these other groups, I think, were worried that a win for Google would water down copyright protections for other media. But the majority ruling recognized this. And, and they what they des described was that the interface code has a functional purpose that is limited in how it can be done, like I just talked about. And that makes it a completely different category than recorded music, books, movies, those kinds of media. And because of that, the justices carved out a, a separate threshold or criteria for fair use when it comes to interface code. This is very narrow. It did not apply to other types of code. It did not apply to other types of media. And so these other lobbies that were worried about their copyright protections being eroded really had nothing to worry about in the end. Yeah, I would point out a lot of code still falls under copyright, you know, non-API code. And in fact, organizations very often will scan the code that their developers use and look for, say, code snippets that may have been copied from 
open source libraries or other libraries that could violate copyright. So concerns about copyright and code are out there. But to David's point, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, said this is not this is not a particular copyright issue. And in fact, they didn't make any particular ruling on whether APIs were copyrightable. This was a very, very narrow decision that really focused on that fair use question, even though it could have expanded into copyright issues. And further earlier in the process, questions on patentability were dismissed. So it ended up being extremely narrow, the decision. But why Why do you think that is, Sandy? Why, why didn't they make a ruling on on the copyrightability? So I, I, I follow the Supreme Court and, and I've taken an interest in when there's nominees up there. And, and I remember reading a lot of news years ago and, and even today that Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts, he does not like broad rulings. And, and part of that is he doesn't like this notion of judicial activism. And he's really tried to focus the court on making as narrow rulings as possible. And if I were to try to get in his brain, what I think the thought process is, is that if we can settle this question without answering the debate over broader copyrights, if we can just say it's fair use and not discuss the copyright question, maybe down the road, another case will arise where that's not enough, that we we need to settle, we have to go beyond fair use and settle copyright. And that case may bring up additional facts that were not presented in this case. And therefore, a decision now on that copyrightability may force us one way or the other in that future case without knowing what the facts of that case are. I think that might be the thought process that that he has in, in trying to promote narrow decisions in, in the Supreme Court. Yeah, David, it's a good point. I think you could be right. I also do wonder, given the implications of this and the implications for innovation in the software industry, and, and specifically for the U.S. economy, was there a deliberateness, um, an artfulness to the very, very narrow application of fair use so that the ruling could go the way that the majority of IT professionals and the software industry really wanted it. So as not to undermine U.S. competitiveness, U.S. innovation. Um, I, I do wonder if that, that had anything had anything to do with it as well. Were they looking at the, even though it's not their job as justices, they're, they're supposed to provide, you know, apply, you know, legal principles to it, was that roiling in the back of their their minds about the the broader implications to the U.S. economy and competitiveness? Well, I, maybe yes, and, and and even if yes, it, it still may be complying with the law. Um, I, I'm not a lawyer, but what I've read about fair use is that clause is in the copyright law. Well, to get the background, copyright is intended to help promote new innovations. You you have a a monopoly on an expression of an idea because that monopoly will incentivize you to invest in creating it. But when copyright, when enforcing that copyright statute will stifle innovation, the the courts are supposed to invoke fair use to say, no, uh, applying the the copyright law here will have the opposite intended effect. And so, yes, when copyright stifles competitiveness and innovation in the U.S. economy, that is, from what I've read of fair use, exactly what fair use is meant to enable. So do you both think that this was the right decision, the right call? I absolutely do, yes. You know, to David's point, you know, the call that was made by the court, you know, helps free up innovation. It prevents 
copyright trolls. And we already see patent trolls in industry as a huge problem that keep a lot of keep a lot of uh, in-house counsels very busy on an average day and keep counsels for smaller companies frustrated and not able to focus on other things because they're constantly fighting ba- fighting back those patent trolls. I'm imagining how much worse this could have gotten with copyright trolling for every software API implementation or anything that was even on the borders close to that. It really frees up and potentially ties up innovation and a lot of other issues over time. So from that standpoint, it absolutely was correct. But I would also go back to the fact that ultimately the piece that Google took from Oracle was not the implementation of the code. It wasn't the proprietary elements. It wasn't the secret sauce. It was really about that interface. And to the point that we've been making throughout this discussion, there are really only so many ways that you can write an interface. So it's very hard to argue that much was much was taken here. Yeah, I I also agree it was the right decision. And and some things I noted on my blog uh, or our blog that you can read on our website, uh, if it gone the other way, litigation fears may have caused tech companies to avoid building APIs based on open standards. And I I remember I was thinking back to the 1990s and Sandy helped me uh, dig up some info on this, that back then federal law regulated computer encryption as a military munition and forbade export if the encryption was, was at a high enough a grade that the government couldn't crack it. And that just sent tech innovation on encryption overseas. And by the mid 1990s, there are estimates that the U.S. economy suffered billions of dollars in potential losses as a result. And and so I think a win for Oracle could have pushed more tech innovation to countries that have uh, the fair use, uh, basically, that have what we now have as a result of, of Google winning this case. I mean, overall, it sounds like it was the right decision. I mean, I believe, too, it was the is it was the right decision. Just to play devil's advocate, though, there, do you see any potential negative impacts, particularly some of the ones that Oracle was arguing, which is, hey, you've you've just solidified Google's monopoly. They're the only ones who could have litigated this for for ten years. They're the only ones who could have gotten away with copying, you know, eleven thousand lines of of code. Do you really think they are though? Um, I mean, you look at some of the other organizations that, you know, to David's point, filed amicus briefs. Um, You look at some of the other large players in the industry. You know, Microsoft filed an amicus brief. I think they certainly could have been in there. Other large technology companies, I think, you know, could have also made these arguments and invested. I don't know that you're necessarily giving power to Google over any of the other large tech companies in the U.S., are you giving them any power over a smaller company that also comes up with innovative code and innovative approach to APIs, you know, somebody who couldn't defend a larger organization, the likes of Google or a Microsoft or, you know, name your 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 tech giant du jour, uh, you couldn't possibly fight them. It's funny to cast Oracle as the little guy in that that conversation. <laughs> no, I, they're yeah. definitely not the little guy, but they that was one of their one of their arguments. No, it, it's it's I think it's a bogus argument because the fair use enables the little guy to use interface code, mm-hmm. right? And that's prote- that's protecting them from the monopolies like Oracle from suing them. And, and I'd go back to the Amiki briefs. 
And the amici that filed in favor of Google, again, included uh, several people involved in software startups, organizations involved in open source code like Wikimedia. Uh, Red Hat has a commercial model based on open source. They have skin in the game on this. They were supporting Google. You know, if, if, if Oracle's arguments were valid, we would have seen the opposite in the amici briefs. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. I mean, the, the other thing I was thinking about, though, again, this has been going on since 2010, you know, back and forth, back and forth, is part of why it took so long to finally settle when, based on the discussion that the four of us are having here, it's, it's almost clear cut, was, you know, do judges struggle with the technology? Do, do they understand... Um, you know, the structure and the organization and the way that APIs are actually constructed and how they're used. Like, why did this take 10 to 12 years when, when it was so, when it was so clear a cut? Um, I wonder sometimes like whether, I don't envy judges, whether they, they're making rulings on technology that they barely, that they barely understand. Yeah, I have to say, as a technologist, it's kind of fun to read through the Supreme Court ruling and see them try to define what an API is and do that in a way that's consumable for their readership, which is, you know, legal, non-technical, you know, news generalists, if you will. One thing that's interesting here is that the appellate court that fed into the Supreme Court decision, the appellate court ruled the other way. So I think the question of whether there was a solid understanding around this uh, was was definitely there. And so, you know, do courts struggle with these these technical questions that are far outside the realm of their experience? I, I imagine they do. And as evidenced by the number of amici briefs that did call out, hey, the last court got it wrong on the copyright issue. I think there was definitely that element in there. And um, I don't know how long these litigations normally take to say if, if 10 years is a long time or, or a normal amount of time. But one thing that did strike me, though, when I read the majority ruling, I was actually very impressed with how they described interfaces and, and, and how they're different from other code and how it's different than other copyrightable media. Uh, whatever lawyers worked on this case and, and supported the justices in writing the opinion, I felt like they had a, a pretty good grasp of the technology. So uh, maybe it's, it's foreign to the justices, but I, I feel like they definitely had the right support staff there to help translate these very technical concepts in a way that, that they could understand and make a, a fair ruling. One thing that I was interested in, and uh, I'd be curious if either of you have any, have any thoughts on this is, one organization that was on Oracle's side was actually the U.S. Justice Department. And I can't quite figure out why, because when I think about the implications that this would have had for, again, U.S. competitiveness, U.S. innovation, the billions that could have been lost by, um, you know, development moving overseas, I'm not exactly sure why they, they argued in favor of Oracle on this one at the, at the Justice Department. I didn't read their brief. And so this is a little more conjecture, but my guess is it may have more to do with partisan politics. If you look at the amici briefs in favor of Oracle, there was the American Conservative Union, which is more of a conservative political lobby, and some other organization, I forget the name of, but it, it was like a conservative political lobby related to healthcare of all things. 
Uh, and so given that it was a Republican-run uh, administration, that, that that there may have been some political lobbying involved in there behind the scenes that we're not aware of. But again, I just want to emphasize that's more conjecture based on what I saw and who filed briefs for Oracle. And that is a good point to remember that the arguments before the Supreme Court occurred during the previous administration, not during the current administration. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think that, you know, again, de- depending on the timing of when this litigation, all these lawsuits could have happened. I mean, we could have ended up with a potentially different, different result. And the just the sheer impact that it would have had on the industry could have been profound. And I would say that that is part of why the amici briefs were so important in this case, because you had so many others from around the industry providing their perspectives. And to David's point, I think help educating the justices on the issues and on the technology elements of this that perhaps they were less familiar with. And it's the, the, the if there's partisanship in the the briefs uh, that did not come forth in the justices ruling it, it that the it was a 7 to 2 decision it was actually pretty bipartisan in the majority yeah that that is worth noting this was you know as far as uh, us supreme court decisions go it was it based on the numbers it was pretty clear pretty clear cut so it sounds like you know there's sort of like a collective sigh of relief right for for it pros for security and risk professionals but what is sort of what is the takeaway for for tech vendors here and what is the message that's been sent i think the the message sent here is you can make interoperable software you can engage in open source and not have to worry about large companies like oracle trying to sue you out of business yeah i completely agree with david and as you said jen security and risk professionals it professionals were absolutely breathing a sigh of relief after that verdict. And knowing that they're not going to be consumed with constantly trying to manage and protect and slow down innovation in favor of collaborating with the industry, building the right products in the best way possible, I think that's huge for tech, huge for innovation. Great. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Great, thank you. Thank you very much. This was fun. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.